are listening to The Depression Session at 99.1 FM Downtown Radio. Each week, we'll have a new guest tell the story of their depression. I'm your host, Laura Milkins, and thank you for joining us on The Depression Session. Just a note for my listeners, I want to make sure you understand that this is a show about depression, and some of the content can be triggering, so please take care of yourself if something on the show brings up difficult feelings, and seek professional help if you need it. Thank you. Hello, and welcome to The Depression Session on Downtown Radio. Happy Valentine's Day, everybody. Today we have with us in the studio Jane Litcher. She's a retired mother of two who worked for mental health with challenged adults for 25 years. She's also my mom. We'll be right back with Jane, but first I'd like to talk about being vulnerable. Brene Brown says vulnerability is the birthplace of love, belonging, joy, courage, empathy, accountability, and authenticity. I'm feeling really vulnerable this week and depressed. I don't feel courageous. I'm not sure I'm capable of feeling very empathetic. I can feel accountable at times. And I, I don't feel a lot of joy because that's, I was sick for a week and a half and I feel like being ill put me back where I was months ago. It's, it's, it's a, odd thing. I I felt okay. I was feeling a little better than doing this show has actually made me feel better. Hearing the stories has made me feel stronger and less depressed. And then I'm feeling right back where I was a a couple weeks of being in bed and not going very much and feeling low energy. And my mom had said to me, well, you'll bounce back, you know, get back into exercising and going out in the world, you'll bounce back. And I thought, I don't have anywhere to bounce back to. I, I wasn't I wasn't up very much or very long. What I can bounce back to is where I was and where I am now, which is depressed and not feeling very great. And as far as feeling vulnerable, a friend of mine who I invited to be on the show wrote me back and said he he said he was interested and then I said, Oh, I'd love to have you on the show and I invited him back to being on the show and he I said, Hey, you know, if you wanna do a recording and the show great and he said, um, wrote me back and said, Every time I've told my story, I feel like nobody cares. Like nobody really cares. And I feel if I'm on the show I'll just end up bringing out all these hard feelings and feel like nobody cares again and feel worse than I did and feel humiliated. And I wrote him back and I said, I know exactly how you feel. <laughs> I have felt that way every week. Every week I feel like everybody's story is really great. Like I love this show. I love the stories. And I feel completely honored that people are willing to come on and tell such authentic, deep, personal stuff. And in, in, in the process of this, I thought I would be trying out different remedies and letting you go, that guys know, you know, how did it turn out? Instead, that has not happened. That has not turned out to be what this show is about. Every week I tell a little bit of my story and I feel if I'm going to ask other people to be so vulnerable and really expose something deep about who they are, and where they've been in some of the worst times of their life, that I have to be willing to do the same and not be removed from it. And I feel like a fool. I feel, I feel, I feel that telling these stories, how could anybody possibly be interested in hearing from me again? How could that be an interesting thing? And 
I think that that is one of the worst parts of depression is that feeling that you are isolated and nobody cares. And I know people care. I mean, it's not logical. I know people care. My mom's sitting here right next to me. I know she cares. I know how much she loves me and has supported me. And this being Valentine's Day, I think it's a little bit about vulnerability and love. Brene Brown talks about you cannot experience joy without being vulnerable. You cannot feel belonging and feel loved without being vulnerable. But it is so hard. It is incredibly difficult to be vulnerable because you feel like nobody cares. <laughs> because it's, I can't imagine why this would be interesting to anyone. And what has been strange for me is I, a lot of people have just come out of the woodwork wanting to be on the show and tell their story and help other people. I'm really touched by how many people want to be on the show. And yet, most people have never listened to the show who want to be on it. <laughs> they just love the idea of it. They love that somebody's made a space for us to talk about these things. They appreciate that somebody's doing it. Unfortunately, that somebody's me, and I don't want to do it. <laughs> I don't want to do it. I don't, I don't want to keep telling a story. I, I feel that it is so uncomfortable to be honest, and sometimes I feel like I get really intellectual on this show in my part and just talk about it without telling you the story of it. So I thought I'd share a couple stories today, and my boyfriend and I were talking the other day about some really hard times in my past that I talked about on the show about when my dad was in the worst of his depression and alcoholism at a really low, really scary, scary point. And he said, if you were an adult standing there, what would you say to your parents? What are the things that you haven't been able to say that you would say? What would you say to your dad? What, did, what would you feel? And honestly, I couldn't feel anything. Look back on a scene of, you know, my dad really wanted to kill my mom at that point. We were in the process of getting divorced. And he was angry and, and out of control and his alcoholism was really bad. And I can't feel anything about that. I can't. I think that's, for me, depression is an apathetic lack of feeling. It's not about feeling something. It's not just that I got depressed because my stepdad died and my dad died. I think it's that they died and it brought up old, old, old stuff that even being conscious about it, even trying to tap into the feelings of what it was it like to be a little kid and have your dad be so ill and so not like himself. I feel like I have two dads. I have the lovely, somewhat anal, well, this is, this is how you fix this, and you should get your oil changed on a regular basis. And if you build up an account and have a safety net, <laughs> there's that dad. And then there's the one that was leaving Las Vegas drunk and wanted to kill my mom. And they're two different people for me. They're not the same person. I can't relate to, I don't even know, maybe I'm two different people in that circumstance too. The little kid that was running for help was 
my dad called up, left the phone off the hook, so we couldn't call out this was in the 80s. And he came over and was trying to pop my mom's tires and then was trying to beat down the door. My mom said, go get help, go get the police. And I ran all the way down to the sister's house. Just ran and was confused and got there. And I didn't, I could have just gone next door, but I didn't need to do that. I ran all the way down several blocks to somebody's house that I felt safe with and I called the police. And I can't put myself back to any feelings toward my dad. I, I don't even have any feelings toward that. It just seems sad. It just seems so sad. So sad to be so ill. And so sad for my mom to have to go through that. And so sad for me to be in that position. So when my dad died, my brother was supposed to be executor and wasn't up for it. And my stepmom wasn't up for it. And so I was the one making decisions and talking to the realtors and settling his estate and talking to creditors and trying to sell my family home. And I feel that that's part of my depression is there I am a little kid again with responsibilities that a little kid shouldn't have. That I'm back to help your family. Your family's falling apart. Help your family. And that's what it went. My dad died. My family was falling apart. And for whatever reason there, one of my friends said, well, did you really think anybody but you, you, you have these family roles? Did you think anyone but you would do this? Isn't, doesn't it make sense that you'd be the one to just pick up the pieces and do what has to be done and run for help? <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it's, it's, I think in alcoholic families, there's always different roles that you take on. And mine was peacemaker, fixer, trying to always fix things. And with my depression, I'm, I'm not trying to fix it. That sounds terrible to people, I'm sure. Like, why wouldn't you go get help, get some medication, fix this? But I think for once in my life, I'm just asking for help and love and being vulnerable. And this is helping. Coming on here, and I feel often that I'm talking to nobody. There couldn't possibly be anybody out there listening to this. And so I, I just pour out my heart, tell you what I'm thinking about, and make myself vulnerable. And not, not fix things, not be in charge of anything. So, in doing that, I'm finding a little bit of love and belonging and empathy. I feel authentic and accountable. I don't want to not take accountability for how I'm feeling. I feel down. But I'm not trying to fix everything. I'm just loving the people around me and muddling my way through this and doing what little things I can to feel better. I will bounce back, I suppose, next week and go to the gym again with my mom <laughs> and see some friends again. I just don't feel up for it right now, and I think that's okay. It's okay to be vulnerable. And I'll just close with Renee Brown, she says. What makes you vulnerable makes you beautiful. And I think that's really true. Things that make us vulnerable in this world make us beautiful. And it's beautiful to be here with all of you sharing this content. So, today, I have in the studio with me Sarah Jane Litcher, who goes by Jane. 
She's a retired mother of two from Grand Rapids, Michigan. She worked for mental health with Challenge Adults for 25 years, and she's also my mom. Hi, Mom. Welcome to the Depression Session. Thank you so much for having me. It's a delight to be here. <laughs> so what's new with you? Well, let's see. I, I moved from Grand Rapids, Michigan to Tucson to hang out with my daughter and my son, who both have moved to Arizona where the weather is delightful. <laughs> Good for depression, right? <laughs> yeah, it's wonderful for depression. I I hardly have to worry about it at all when I'm here in the same way I do when I'm in dark, snowy, cold Michigan at, at this time of year. This is so therapeutic, and I'm so fortunate to have my kids both here. And I know you come and stay with your lovely daughter, Laura Milkins. <laughs> yes, I do. I spend most of my time with my lovely daughter, Milkins. <laughs> <laughs> and I know that four months is a long visit for mother and daughter. Yes, it is. Well, fortunately, um, my son Cameron lives in Phoenix, and uh, that's a place for me to go when we get a little testy with each other and start having kitchen Nazi wars. I know. Sometimes it's really it's interesting to have, I don't know how many of you have had your mother stay with you, but it is both a delight and warm and comforting. I mean, she does my laundry sometimes, and then I'm angry about how she did it, which is dumb. <laughs> but... But it's really lovely, and at the same time, it's a challenge for both of us because you're staying at my home, which I know puts you in a position of being almost like the kid, that you're not, it's not your home and I'm staying with you, it's my home and you're staying with me. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and usually when you first get here, it's really hard for both of us. Would you be willing to talk about that? Oh, sure. There's always an, an adjustment, and I have to kind of ratchet down my desire to control my environment because it's not my environment, it's my daughter's house. <laughs> and after a while, we we work around some of our issues, and uh, this year has been particularly rough because Laura's car has been out of whack oh for God, yeah. a long while, so she's been using mine, so we have to choreograph who has the car when, and and she wins because she's working a real job, and I'm just, you know, volunteering and what have you. Yeah, and I know that can't be easy to feel almost, you know, not in control of your environment and kind of helpless in some ways, like deferring, <laughs> deferring to, your, to me. <laughs> but I have so many things to do that I, I could spend a great deal of time by myself and be perfectly happy. Well, I appreciate so much that you come and stay with me and that we do work it out. And your love and comfort is, is really great, Mom. Oh, thank you so much. I wouldn't have it any other way. I feel so fortunate that you like me and love me. Not <laughs> I do just, enjoy your company. Not just love me. You know, we all love our parents in some fashion, but we don't necessarily like them. So, Mom, tell us the story of your depression. Okie dokie. I'm a 73-year-old woman who spent most of her life in a depressed situation. When I was a little child, I was a little bit uneven. My family moved when I was five months old. It was during World War II to a base in Maryland where my father was working. He was working with the Navajo because they had an unwritten language, and uh, he was working with what are called the code talkers, teaching them how to read maps. My time on base was a rollicking good time. There were men from all over the United States there working in counterintelligence, and a lot of them were without their families, and they were really happy to see a little girl 
who was cheerful and sprightly, and they'd take me places and do things with me, and they would share their rations with me for candy and goodies. Um, it was during a time when rationing was pretty heavy, although being on a base was not so bad. So that was a that was a really fun time, except for at night. Um, my parents were accustomed to children um, being seen and not heard from about five o'clock on, and I was supposed to sort of disappear. And it was hard to do when your cradle was one of the drawers of the dresser, and you were in a small two bedroom uh, home, part of a home. At any rate, uh, after a while, uh, my father was shipped out. The Navajos had all learned their uh, map reading and triangulation, and um, my mother and I went back to Grand Rapids, and subsequently my uh, we stayed with my grandfather, and um, he had just lost his wife, and um, my mother lost a baby. And the two of them were depressed and sad, and the house was quiet. And I did not know what to do with myself after having been so active before. And whenever I could, I made myself feel better by eating candy and sweets because that gave me a kind of a high. So I think I was an addictive personality from the time I was little. But they were tiny fixes. They just made you feel better for just a moment. And then they went away again. I immersed myself in reading my aunt had National Geographics from the the time that it had started, which was, I think, in 1935. And I would sit in the attic and read National Geographics by sunlight coming through the dusty uh, area. And it was it was kind of a nice way for me to be quiet, but read about and look at pictures of active things. When I went to school, I had a sister that came along next, and when I went to school, I didn't like it very well. Um, I got in trouble a lot of the time because I was active and talkative and a little boisterous. And the teacher told my mother that she thought I was retarded. And my mother came roaring into school, angry as could be, holding me, dragging me by my hand, and told the teacher that she knew that I was a very bright child and the teacher didn't know her business and that she was going to put me in a Montessori school where I could learn properly. Well, it turned out in the long shot that I needed reading glasses and that uh, when I did get reading glasses down the line, that improved my situation a lot. At about eight years old, a neighbor molested me and um I came home to uh, my mother, and I told her about it, and she was absolutely marvelous. She asked all the right questions. She hugged me. She was very nurturing, and um, I felt better, but I didn't feel like leaving home after that. She said for a couple of years, I do not recall that part of my childhood at all. It is a total blank. Um, but anyway, I stayed home and, and didn't go out and about. I did not enjoy school very much. I um, didn't. I withdrew from people a lot. Um, I had a couple of friends that I would hang out with from time to time, but mainly I spent my time reading and staying at home. My parents encouraged me to go out and about, but I was depressed. 
and nobody dealt with depression in those days, and particularly not in my family, where you were expected to be perfect, put on a good face, do the mask, go out and smile and be charming. So life was pretty miserable, actually. And uh, when I was 12, um, I was molested again. And the fortunate thing was that I was babysitting at my own house when this occurred. And my parents drove in, and uh, they came in just at the right time. And the perpetrator left. But I, again, went into a, a really funky depression after that situation. Went through high school. I did a few things. My parents encouraged me to join a swim team. They encouraged me to do things of that nature. When I went on from there, I went on... Oh, I never drank during high school. When I went on to college, I did a lot of drinking and partying, binging, and a lot of rock and roll. When I... Later on, I married married a man whom I loved very much. I had my two children, and during the time when they were small, I did not drink at all. I didn't smoke either. I didn't think it was good for them. And I loved that part of my life. I loved my children. I loved my life. And we were out in nature and having a wonderful time. During my entire working career, later on when I was working with community and mental health and before that teaching, I always had this specter of, of gloom, this darkness that hung over me. The only time I felt better was when I was self-medicating, with mainly with alcohol. It would give me an instant high, but I would feel miserable the following morning, and it was that kind of cycle that went on and on and on. Life improved when I joined, finally, a 12-step program. And my extreme low was happened one night when I called my daughter, and I was drunk, as usual. And she told me very politely that she didn't want to talk to me unless I was sober. And that was the one, that was the straw that broke the camel's back. It was one of many, many things where I had promised that I would quit drinking. Tried uh, all kinds of cures, tried every kind of church I could think of, including Buddhism, transcendental meditation, all that sort of thing. But I, anyway, my daughter dro drove me to rehab, and I stayed there and dried out and uh, began my positive journey toward self-affirmation and towards giving back. And that is exactly what I'm doing today. This is an important thing to do. Laura's talking about herself and her vulnerability, me talking about my riotous and rather upsy-downsy life and career. It all is, it, I'm giving my story to you so that you can give back to me, because if we all give to each other on this Valentine's Day in a spirit of love, then we won't feel isolated and we won't feel as depressed. Of course, exercise makes you feel better. There are things you can do, but when you feel really depressed, you don't even want to leave the house. And one of the things that um, I've learned over time 
is to sit back, and this I learned in a 12-step program, the word halt. If you are feeling depressed and feeling down, think of this, halt. Am I hungry? Am I angry? Am I lonely? Am I tired? Try and look at those things and see if any of them fit what's going on with you and see if you can address them. And if you can't, get some help. It might be, I wouldn't advocate medication. I would, uh, although I do use medication. Um, in my family, there, you know, there are a number of people who do and, um, it works for us. It raises their serotonin level. I take Cymbalta. I'm not advocating Cymbalta. I'm just saying that, that that's what I happen to use. The, um, mask went away. And, and I finally can look at myself in the mirror. It was years that I never contacted my own eyes in the mirror and looked at me and loved myself. I'm learning to love me so that I can love all the other people that are out there. I want to wish a happy Valentine's Day to my daughter, Laura, my son, Cam, all my extended family, and of course, my dear Tom, whom I love. I hope you all have a wonderful day, and I'm not feeling depressed at this moment because I've been able to share with you. Thank you for having me. Thanks for coming on the show, Mom. Well, I enjoyed being here. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things that interests me with your story is during wartime, during wartime, when, when, when everybody's tense and there's all this, you know, men going over to battle and your, your father working on, you know, intelligence and like teaching, teaching these guys so that they could go out and help with the war effort. It, it's, it's amazing because I, I had a student whose grandpa was a code talker and I said, Oh, my grandpa might have known him, <laughs> you know, and it's an interesting, it's really interesting history about this part of the country as well, although they trained on the East Coast. And I, I also thought it was interesting that the, um, that was a happy time for you as a little kid. And that, it, you know, it's funny how war plays such a big role in our lives. And I wondered if you wanted to talk about that, you know, with your dad. Like, was that, was that, did that make things hard, do you think? Well, actually, for us it didn't because we were on, on a base and, and we were in Maryland. We were safe from any wartime activity there. And, um, I got, my father played the piano and enjoyed it so much. And I would be little Shirley Temple singing and dancing <laughs> while my father was playing the piano. So I was tiny. I didn't have any sense of the urgency of war at that time. But in all my life, war has always been there. The specter yeah. of war. I don't understand it, um, and uh, I never will. Yeah. Because love makes the world grow, go around, in my view. And, in, and instead, we're, we're, we're both... It's like that duality again of like my dear loving doting father and that guy who was an alcoholic. <laughs> and it's the same thing with humanity. 
the dear, sweet, kind, vulnerable, connected, beautiful people that we are, and the ones that go off and destroy everything in sight. I had a thought once that humanity as a species is like an alcoholic who hasn't gotten sober yet, just careening around destroying everything, including themselves in the process, which doesn't make us bad animals, just ill and not getting help. Yes, and we're we're protecting our territory, even if it happens to be oil-rich and somewhere else. <laughs> <laughs> and the other thing I thought that was really beautiful is the way love runs through your story, both with your parents and with you, and even these, these people, the, the men on the base who just adored you because they didn't have their kids around. And I wanted to end the show on, I love you, Mom. Thanks for being on the show. Oh, I love you too, honey. I really am so glad I could be here. Thanks. I want to mention again that if you found some of the content of today's episode triggering, please seek professional help and call 911 if you feel like hurting yourself or others. I'm not a licensed therapist, and this show and the station are not endorsing any remedies or products. The purpose of this show is to destigmatize depression through storytelling. You can find a link to mental health services on downtownradio.org on the About KTDT page. To listen to the podcast, or if you're interested in being on the show, contact us at www.thedepressionsession.com. You've been listening to The Depression Session on Downtown Radio Tucson with music by Septa Helix. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at The Depression Session Podcast. Thank you.